Blog Talk Radio. Hi and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Fernanda Rossi is a writer who collaborates with filmmakers in both fiction and documentary projects. She lectures around the world on storytelling and story structure and is the author of Trailer Mechanics, a book on story development and fundraising demos. We'll be discussing with her how to tell a story in five minutes for fundraising, even though you intend to make a feature-length film and even though you may not know where the story is going. And Carol, I didn't even know you needed a writer for documentaries. Absolutely, you do. And Fernanda is just the writer for documentaries to help those people who are struggling with the story. So, Fernanda, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for wonderful 15 years of friendship and being my tacit godmother. You met me a long time ago, and you believed in what I did, and you've been amazingly supportive. So thank you so much. You're, uh, you're so welcome. I remember the things you said uh, in that first seminar you gave were so important, and I made notes, and they stuck with me because you did a great job in cutting through all the rhetoric that you sometimes hear and going straight to the most important points. So we really want to cover uh, today uh, uh, so much. We want to find out more about storytelling. But let's start with what does a writer do in a documentary? Because most people think that everything is already there from your interviews. Yeah, yeah. And, And it is a problematic credit or title in a documentary, especially when we have a few decades of a strong, verited tradition where we think that we're just capturing reality and putting it there. So if we're thinking writer, I'm going to make up something, no, it's not that type of writer. We're talking writer, the person who understands the theory of storytelling and can apply it. Now, the fact that I'm a writer doesn't mean I'm going to make things up. It means I work with the director to figure out uh, what to choose, in what order, and especially when you have to make a demo. So, yes, the the title is problematic. In fact, Albert Maisel's, rest in peace now, um, he even uh, rejected the idea of director. He said, I'm not directing anything. But I said, but Albert, you choose where to put the camera. So you definitely make choices that are directorial. And... Yes, we're not making anything up, but we do make choices that are in the field of writing. So it's a tricky title. I avoided it for a very long time. I went with other pseudo-credits. In Europe, my job is called dramatist. Um, Here, it wouldn't in the States, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking from New York. So in the States, it wouldn't make sense. Internationally, they use dramatist. In TV, they call it story supervisor, but that will make some directors nervous. Um, they call it story editor. That makes the editor nervous. So we're in a strange predicament. We don't have a true name for uh, what I do, and especially in the way I do it. So 
I acknowledge it's a complicated word in especially verite films, but it has to do with thinking of story. So writer goes for now, but if anybody in the audience comes up with a good credit, I'll be listening. I'll be happy to find the word that describes the person in the team who helps the director figure out the story. Great, great. Well, I remember that you, as a young girl, were told by your teacher how talented you were in the theory of storytelling, that you really are a good storyteller, and that's what it takes to be the writer for a documentary, right? Yeah, well, you have amazing memory. Yeah, when I was in uh, sixth grade, we were reading a novel every Friday, and by the end of it, we needed to uh, deliver an essay about the novel. It was called Cravat. And um, I deliver a scheme. I deliver a diagram with a, a chart with a flow of characters. <laughs> and the teacher said, what's this? And I said, well, that's my visual representation of the structure of the novel. I was 11. And uh, he said, I have a, a male teacher, and he said, well, I could think that you are really lazy and you didn't do anything, or... I could think that you really captured the essence of the story and its structure. And he said, you're lucky. I'm doing a PhD in literature. I don't know what aspect of literature, but um, this is exactly right. And I got an A. <laughs> so I think my destiny was defined at that critical moment where a teacher could have said, you're lazy and I would have abandoned my gift, or luckily he thought uh, it was a great work capturing the structure. So, so yeah, it comes a bit naturally, but I also studied semiotics as part of my film degree. My film degree has many courses on semiotics. So, and then, you know, I was an editor for a long time. I write a lot in fiction. I wrote seven feature-length screenplays. So there is a, a little bit of a knack for it, but there is a lot of hard work and study and learning. I still do today primary research. And it's important because you have to see where the trends are going. You know, I work with people who have new problems, so I have to stay ahead of the curve. But, yeah, you have great memory. That happened when I was 11. That's right. Good. All right. Well, let's. some people call a five-minute piece a demo or a sample. Uh, so with your background in semantics, please explain what this really is. Everybody has a different title for it, uh, a yeah. trailer. Oh, that's, and especially when you work around the world, then it gets really complicated. In the U.K., they call it a taster. And uh, in, in China, they have a beautiful name. It's the ideogram of, uh, it's called pinhua. It's called clipped flower. It's like you clip a flower from an entire bouquet. I thought it was a beautiful image. Uh, then somebody wrote and said, well, more, mine is more like a weed, like a wild weed. So uh, a demo is a, it's a slang word, a slang with trailer. The proper word in grant applications is a work in progress, uh, which, again, is a bit non-descriptive. Uh, it could be anything. A work in progress is pretty much anything. And now, lately, the word sample, sample is having some traction. They call it work sample or sample. So... Yeah, the words, I wrote an essay also about how we are very slow to let go of old words. We still say real, and it's in the can, and lots of expressions that talk about 
things that were happening 30 years ago. But we are also very creative to bring new words when we don't need them. So there are a lot of words for demo, and it gets a bit dizzy, and some people say, no, it's different. Yeah, there is a little difference between a work in progress and a teaser, but they're all talking essentially about the same, which is the definition I have in my book on trailers, is an audiovisual pitch. That's what it is. It's an audiovisual pitch. Then we can discuss the lengths and the characteristics because it depends on different uh, needs. But it's an audiovisual pitch. You are, we are pitching uh, with audiovisual material for something that you are intending to do. Brilliant. And that, see, to me, that is your funding, your greatest funding asset. It is the <laughs> asset because... Even though you still have the verbal pitch and you have the the proposal, we are making films. So what will get the most attention? Well, clearly the demo. What happens when the demo is not working, somebody in the audience, they might have experienced this, they get a phone call and it says, we love the story. I wonder if you will team up with another director. That's code for your demo is not convincing. Um, the opposite can happen. The demo is phenomenal, but the treatment on paper doesn't hold together. So the fear then is, oh, my God, this person is so talented, but can they tell a story from beginning to end for 90 minutes? He or she can do it in five minutes, but can they sustain a film? So that's when you get the phone call that says, we love the story. Would you be willing to work with an executive producer or a writer or a producer? So what happens when something is not quite the best it can be you get a phone call or a question or an email saying, would you partner up with somebody? Um, the demo has the format of the final product, right, if we can call a film a product. Um, so if it's audiovisual, we clearly want to see that the demo is working because that shows your skills for the final uh, format. If we were talking novels, obviously the written proposal would be more important than any little video you can do demonstrating whatever. I mean, some writers do little trailers for their books. So I think demo is the asset because it matches the final format, simply. That's what we pay attention. I was a grant evaluator many times for pretty much most of the major grants. I was a, an evaluator for ITVS and Latino Public Broadcast and New York State Council for the Arts. So I do know what it's like to sit on the other end of the table and see at the project and say, wow, I love it, but something is not quite right. And the demo is the deal breaker. That's when you make the decision. You can love everything, but if the demo doesn't deliver, then you have serious questions. Right. Very much so. Well, so how do you get a good demo? I mean, uh, usually you've uh, shot, a lot of people come to me and they've shot 30, 50 hours, and uh, they you may not have all of the points, all of the strategic points that they need to make in the trailer. So yeah. I always people that you, you know, some people say to me, oh, we're shooting next weekend. We hope to get some information for the trailer. And I say, well, I think you better uh, plan. You better ask the right questions. You better go in there knowing you're going to get it. And if you have to ask the same question five different ways, but when it elicits the answer that you need, stay on it. Don't take anything except the perfect answer that you need to make your trailer. Now, maybe that's too 
that's wrong. I don't know. But I don't think hoping is the answer. Yeah, I I think uh, you make very good points. I think uh, first we'll have to see the bigger context. I think what happens is that back in the day, film was expensive and scarce, um, and people had to plan and think. And we, every art relies heavily on thinking. But for some reason, we started to put a lot on technology. Like we think Facebook is communication. No, communication happens, used to happen before, and should happen beyond Facebook. And the same with cameras and access. Uh, we really devalue thinking. And so we have the camera, let's go and shoot. So and that's definitely a, a North American, European problem. When I go to other countries, people, yeah, cameras are cheap, but drives and, and time is not cheap. You know, people need to work, and so they have other restrictions, and they tend to plan more. So I'm not saying we are wrong. There is definitely uh, great advantages in exploring freely. In my book, I talk about scripting or not scripting, and the advantages and disadvantages of planning too much or planning too little. And, you know, they did this, this study. I wish I had the source right in front of me, but they did. Uh, they grabbed a class, divided it in two, and one section of the class they said, here is a lump of clay, and you have to do one piece that is the best it can be. And the other group was giving the same amount of clay, the same amount of time, and said, do whatever you want until you come up with something. Uh, you can do as many pieces as you want. And when you ask people, who do you think got the better piece, everybody thinks the one that really applied themselves to work hard on one single thing. And no, the best results were with the people who had the freedom to explore and try and not fear mistakes or expect the great. I don't know if this is true for film, too. Clay is very different than film <laughs> in, in cost and, and amount of people involved. So I don't know if there is a direct comparison. It would be unfair. But... It tells you that going and exploring and just being spontaneous is fantastic. Uh, there is value in concentrating and saying, okay, I have five hours to do this and I need to do it right. Um, I, I think that people finally come to their senses when they have to go across the world and pay for tickets and accommodation and can only go for 10 days. That's when people say, oh, my God, Fernanda, I need to make this work. Um, when people are in their turf, they tend to be a bit too lenient, and then they come to me with, I'm sure it happened to you many times, with, as you said, 50, 70 hours, and, and they don't know even where to start. And, and then they discover that maybe they don't have what they needed. So I'm an advocate of the middle path, a Buddhist concept, where it's good to think and plan, but be open for some surprises. Um, make room for some um, things that might not be exactly what you wanted but might be useful. Um, for trailers, especially when people have limited time, I try, I try to not script but find an outline with the main things that need to be covered. And the first question is, is it character-based or topic-based? Are we? Is it an essay or are we going to follow people? If we follow people, definitely we need to have something that captures the essence of who they are what they want to accomplish, and is there any obstacle along the way. If it's an essay, I try to focus on three key premises or ideas around that topic. And I can give you a gazillion examples. It will take us all day. In fact, my workshop is an eight-hour workshop. 
and we're trying to, you know, say a lot in half an hour. But I would say, first ask, are we following people or are we following interviewees? Um, a character changes or affects change, an interviewee just deliver, delivers information. And then, you know, try to capture three to five main ideas. Wow. Fernanda, yeah, I'm talking too fast. Sorry, Carol, I'm talking so oh, fast. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> but speaking of, speaking of your seminars, this is a really good time for you to tell us, if we wanted to know when your next seminar was and in what city, where would we go? Oh, I am going next to the U.K. I'll be at Sheffield Dog Fest, and then I'm working for an organization in Norway. I'm, um, I might be doing some stuff in the States, but I will go wherever I'm called. You know, if somebody wants a seminar in their town, just call me. I mean, I'm happy to pack and go. You know, I love traveling, and I love meeting. You know what I love about traveling is meeting storytellers around the world. I'm fascinated by how people conceive of story in different ways because of their background and culture. So we take for granted this idea of telling the story in five minutes. You present that idea to a French person or an African person. I work with somebody in Cameroon, and they look at you like you must be kidding, right? <laughs> it's such a foreign concept. So when they have to co do co-productions with America or other European countries, you know, they really have to wrap their head around well, story is about being, you know, it's about flowing and feeling. It's not um, this premeditated thing that you do. So I have the most interesting conversations when I travel. I love, uh, I've been a lot to Nebraska and Minnesota, and I work with a lot of Native Americans, and I love having conversations about story with them too. They're really, really, they have such a fascinating point of view. So... I'm happy to go anywhere. If somebody um, has an idea or works with an organization, uh, they can email me and, and we can discuss it. Up, right now, my, my engagements are in Europe as for this season. But, you know, later on, I can go pretty much anywhere. Okay, that is excellent. And they can get you through your website, which is what? Give us the website. Uh, it's uh, I have a few websites. Uh, the one that is the most updated is documentarydoctor.com, documentarydoctor.com, all spelled out. My personal website that has also the fiction stuff, if there is anybody interested in fiction, is fernanda-rossi.com, like my name, with a hyphen. And there is a section that links with Documentary Doctor. So uh, they can also Google my name. It will show up. And Facebook is also the easiest, fastest way. Uh, I'm under facebook.com slash storydoctoring. Um, so there are many ways. And if nobody has a, a pen to write anything down, just Google my name. It will show up. They will find me. And as right. I said, I'm, I'm, I, I work a lot internationally, and I think in, in forms – people, it's like cross-pollination. Sometimes I feel I'm a little bee going from country to country and bringing the news of what's happening in other places, uh, first-hand um, recounts of, of that. And I think it enriches everybody. I think sometimes we get a bit stale in our storytelling. We go with a little formula. Oh, do this, do that, do that. And in my book I say, in my workshops also, I say many times, Take this as guidance, not as a formula. This is a formula to toss out the window. This is the training wheels 
to throw out. Eventually, you want to ride on your own and feel the wind and not think about balancing. So um, I think it's good to be reminded there are many ways to tell a story, and there are many ways to tell a five-minute story. Great. Well, all right. So speaking of the five-minute story, when should a person consider having a sample reel, or you're calling a work sample, and at what time do you get involved? Well, that's a a very important question that very few people ask themselves. Um, They kind of come up with, oh, I have a sample uh, because they're applying to a grant. But really, um, back in the day um, when we met, trainers were not mandatory. It was an option. Then they became mandatory. Uh, Now the only places where they wouldn't require a trailer would be a development grant. Everybody else in any field would ask you to to have something. And how early? Well, now they're asking you pretty much as soon as you have an idea. Before it was, well, until you shoot somebody, something, not somebody, some something. And then they, they, uh, and they keep tightening that deadline. And now it's, oh, I have an idea. Okay, do you have a trailer? Like, you cannot finish saying what the idea is about, that they say, can you show me something? So I would say have it as soon as you can, even if you don't have footage. Today there is such an abundance of audiovisual material. Um, obviously, you need to license some of it if you're going to make it public, but a lot of freedom, you know, depending on the topic, there is a lot of uh, public domain stuff. There is a lot of libraries that have deals where they give you stuff in exchange of buying from them. There are many ways to go and scavenge for material across many platforms and try to to create something that represents the idea. I would say even think of shooting for just the trailer. Don't wait for principal photography to start. I will say, hey, if it's if it can happen, go and and shoot something for the trailer alone. And you can shoot three, four critical hours, you know, very well chosen issues, and um, and you can go and and make the trailer with that. So many people, more and more, many filmmakers are shooting for the demo only. Like, they're not starting principal photography. And sometimes they mix it, mix it with their research. When they do research of characters, they do research with a little better camera, hoping that they can use some of that for their demo. So research footage, demo, principal photography, it all became part of a continuum. Um, and I encourage that, to think uh, in a versatile way, to think efficiently. Uh, because if you're going to delay everything until you start principal photography with the best camera ever, uh, you're missing an opportunity of having a good demo. So um, I tell a lot of people, don't think big, think feasible. <laughs> because thinking big is great, it lifts up your spirits, you know, you feel, oh my God, I'm really making it. But at the end of the day, you need to have something to show. So I, I always tell people, let's think big, but let's first think feasible so we have something. Hello, did I lose you? Oh no, sorry, I had oh. my mute on. Forgive me. Oh. I'm just saying having something ready to go at uh when you're pitching someone from the very beginning almost is really what you need. And if you don't have the footage shot, you're saying that to use some images that represent this, this can help you tell the story. 
Yeah, I don't want to encourage uh, pirating and robbery of other people's uh, material. Um, I'm saying there is an abundance. There are many. Um, there is a t3media.com that has a very slight watermark, and they're very generous and has a huge library. Uh, they have a sub a, a, a sister company called Paya, P-A-Y-A dot com, where it's kind of an exchange center where filmmakers upload material they don't need anymore, and and you can buy stuff. Um, there are many creative ways to to have something. If you're thinking of shooting something abroad uh, and it's very expensive to go and you cannot go, you know today we're all interconnected. Get on the platform like the D Word uh, the the, it's uh, www.theworddofdocumentary-word.com and contact a filmmaker from another country and say, hey, can you can you be my stringer? Can you go with a camera and make an interview? I know somebody who had an interview over Skype and hire a camera person to actually put the camera and record it. Um, so there are many creative ways of getting some material, some material somehow to be able to create a trailer. In my book, I list many, many other ways, but the, the basic one, go to libraries that have slight watermarks and don't ruin everything instead of a massive time code, um, and, and uh, collaborate with filmmakers and, and see if somebody can shoot something. I think uh, any image is better than just words on paper. Any, any visual will be better than just words on paper. Right. <clears throat> All right. Now, how long should it be, Fernanda? Yeah, that's um, that's uh, another thing that got complicated over time. Back in the day, it was 10 minutes for grants. That's it. And then, well, just send me a couple of minutes. I just want to see what's about. Uh, a broadcast would say, a broadcaster would say something like that. And then, so now it can go from one minute, like Sheffield Dog Fest request a one-minute qualifying material. Uh, to put on their website for broadcasters to choose whether they take a meeting with you or not. Um, they have something called the meat market. And then it goes all the way to 20 minutes. You know, Sundance, ITVS, they want 20 minutes if you are in the middle of production. They expect you to be further along the line. And everything in between, you know, for a first meeting, three minutes is okay as you develop the relationship with the broadcaster or a financier or whoever you're dealing with, they might want to watch some more. So it's like a dance, you know. You try a few steps and you go further along and do more and more, and eventually you cross over from demo to actual work in progress, a rough cut. You know, you start going, oh, now I have half hour, 40 minutes, and then that's not the work symbol anymore. You're showing the rough cut. So the time issue used to be simple. And it got a bit complicated. And now people are expected to have a short demo and a longish demo and and use them in different circumstances. Some people have also a mini teaser to put on their website. Um, I tell people, let's not lose perspective. What's the ultimate goal? When you're in the cutting room, cutting the demo, it feels like almost making the film, right? Like, oh, you're there with the editor. It's all happening. It feels very much like the real film but it's not. So people sometimes tend to go back to recutting the trailer over and over and do another version and do another version, not because they need it, but because 
it's so good to be making the film instead of writing or pitching or doing a budget, right? Wouldn't you choose to be in the cutting room rather than making a budget? It would be much more fun. It feels like, oh, yeah, I'm finally making the film. So I tell people, the filmmakers I collaborate with, when they say, oh, Fernanda, we have to make another demo, I, my first question is, why? And they go, oh, um, because, and there are a few valid reasons. Major character change. Let's say you were following one character, suddenly somebody else showed up. That happened to me twice. And, yeah, we have to go back to the drawing board and uh, change this character. Now, major advancement in the story. You're following a story about fighting a factory over something, and everything was at a standstill, and suddenly there is a breakthrough, and that could be a you know, essential for a broadcaster to take the story on, absolutely go back and redo it. A broadcaster says, hey, I would like more of this or that. By all means, go back, reconsider. But sometimes I have people who say, well, you know, we shot another day. Okay, is that footage so essentially important to the story that merits stopping everything, stopping funding, so you can go and add two frames? Well, but it's really nice. I said, yeah, it's really nice because you just, you just shot it and you're in love with it. But let's wait a week and see if you still think that we should stop everything to go and add a scene that doesn't change the story. So when people do it out of wanting to feel that they're in the cutting room making the film or because they love the footage, I, I say let's the infatuation fade a little bit. The true reasons to recut at any length is because somebody – with money in their pocket said so, or the story changed radically, uh, important breakthrough, or part of the story changed, a character was added for some reason, and it's relevant. Otherwise, I always say, let's see if you feel the same in a week. And then if you feel the same in a week, we will consider it. But if not, that's part of what I do as a writer, is to strategize, which exceeds my role as a writer, but to strategize how the story is going to be unfolding. And that's a conversation I have with the producer a lot. Do we need this? Is it a priority? Are we okay putting money on this if it's not going to render amazing results? So I go a little bit beyond as a writer in the fact that first I'm very connected internationally. So I, I'm at the markets. I know what's happening. I'm not in the broadcaster's head. Nobody is. And nobody would like to be in their heads. But, uh, but you know, I'm there feeling the business. So I, I have, like many others, I have the pulse. I try to have the pulse of the business. And that's a, a great addition compared to somebody who works like a library mouse. I am a library mouse also when I need to. But I'm out there in the world. And the other thing that exceeds the role of a writer, but I'm happy to bring it as an added bonus, is to uh, be able to strategize with the producer because I produce my own film. So I know what it's like to have to think every move and make it efficient. So that's something I, I discuss a lot, uh, to be strategically savvy. And uh, I'm not the bratty writer, oh, I want the scene with this and that. On the contrary, I try to be very efficient. Wonderful. Well, what I run into through my fiscal sponsorship is people calling me and saying, oh, my gosh, I've got the great three-and-a-half-minute trailer, and now to get into this film festival, they want a five, and they won't take my three-and-a-half. So now they have to go back. So how can you 
how do you do it? Is there a way to create a five and a three and a two yes. and a one or something like that? So yes. when you're in the edit room, question. so you were prepared for all this. Yeah, what a great question. That's something I'm glad you brought up. It's in my book also, and it's. Uh, um, I think I I say to people, go for ten. And they go, oh, my God, that's a lot of time. No, actually, it's harder to do a 3 than a 10. And it's easier to do a 3 after a 10. So I say go for 10 because one day you will need a 10 anyway. So go for 10 minutes and then do the 5, the 3. All of those things will come. First, you will have a better grasp of the story if you have a 10. Your treatment will flow more easily, your synopsis, everything that happens once you have in your mind a template of a 10-minute trailer, will be much easier. And then, once you have the 10, it's so much easier to go and say, okay, for the three minutes, this and this and this and this. If you have a three minute, then to add two minutes, you have to start all over again, thinking all over again, not editing, but thinking you have to start from scratch. And then a seven, and then an eight, and then you need a 10. So you're starting over every time. If you do a 10, no matter how... Uh, rough it is, but leave it there in your drive, uh, then you can go back and say, okay, let's get rid of this. It's easier to take out than to add, always, always. So I recommend going for the 10-minute, I call it generic, and that's a term in post-production, which means nothing that ties the piece to anything. So no music, no uh, credit, no uh, lower thirds, no graphics, like a clean just images and sound, so you can very easily go and recut. And then then you're set. Once you did the hard thinking of a 10-minute piece, the rest is all very easy, just deciding what to keep, what to let go. Great. Good, very good advice. Well, sometimes people don't do a trailer, and they have an immense amount of footage shot, and then it's, they have to decide what to put in. So how do you choose what to put in your story with a lot of footage shot. Yeah, I, um, um, as I said, I use some models, thinking models, I call it, to help decide. Um, defining the character is an essential one. Defining the goals of the character is another important scene, and seeing what's the obstacle. Those are kind of like the three basic things we need to cover. In topics, it's a little bit more slippery because it depends on the topic, but definitely I would say anchor the idea on one or two interviewees, three tops. Um, you want each interviewee to have a defined characteristic. One is the philosopher, the other is the factual guy or girl. You want each one to have a function within the the demo, so we can easily identify each one. Um, when there is a lot of footage, the valid question for many is, shall I start just cutting the film since I'm not paying an editor and I'm the editor and blah, 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 and they give me all these great reasons, basically saying, please, let's start with the film. By all means, start with the film. Your trailer can be the first 10 minutes of the film. Why not? That's a, a, a shortcut I've used many times when the money's in place. And they need the trailer to keep raising money, but it's not the lifesaver. It's not like, oh, my God, we cannot start. They have money, and they're just raising more money. And I said, hey, let's start with the film as is. And, uh, you know, we work on the script and different methods I have to wrangle those endless hours of footage, and, and create um, uh, a first rough cut. And then we grab the first 10 minutes and we polish it, maybe a scene from later on. And that's what I'm doing now with one of the filmmakers based in Vancouver. Um, he, he had a rough cut, and we just grab 
pieces here and there. I offered the 10 minutes, the first 20 minutes, and he said, no, I want to grab from another places. So, you know, it makes sense sometimes to jump to the rough cut directly. Most often not. Most often it's uh, a bit more complicated, and they do need a specific demo. Well, what about features where they are still raising money, but people want to see something? Uh, do you recommend creating a trailer by uh, taking uh, maybe a scene or two from the film and making a trailer, or um, just picking, uh, getting some visuals to put together? Yeah, it depends what they're intending to do. If they want a teaser, some eye candy for their website, I'll say grab the most epic images, the most... Uh, bitey, uh, witty soundbites or the most compelling or controversial soundbites and create a little popery, uh, almost like a marketing trailer. And, and that's enough for social media, um, sometimes Kickstarter campaigns or crowdfunding, I should say. Um, if you're doing fundraising uh, and you're asking for post-production money, the truth is that they will say, send me the entire film as is, and just queue it up where you want me to start watching. Um, if, if you're asking for six figures and, and there is already a, a rough cut, I would say polish it, especially in the beginning, and, and send that. Uh, I'm not, even though I wrote the book on demos, I'm not uh, a fanatic. Oh, make a demo no matter what. When people call me and they want to make a demo because somebody told them, I really sit them down and say, okay, let's think this through. Is it really needed? So I'm not a, a fanatic, like one must have a demo no matter what, every time, all the time. Early on, absolutely. Once there are there is enough material for a rough cut, it's a discussion. And once there is a rough cut, absolutely a discussion. Not necessary to stop everything. I think by exerting a few things, especially from the beginning, uh, that would be enough. So even though I I I wrote a the book and and it's the only book on the topic, I'm not a fanatic. I'm not a fanatic. Sometimes later on it makes more sense to keep working on the film and extract a few things. Great. Well, now it's my grant time. Everything is uh, the grant is closing for the April 30th, and we I just have to say there's a June 30th and September 30th grant closing coming up too. But what I get from watching my grants is that the first minute to me is essential. I want to know a lot in that first minute. First, I want to know that you're technically a good filmmaker and that you engage me quickly. So tell you tell us what you think is essential in the first minute. Yeah, the first minute is essential for us in the West. The, fortunately, if there are people listening in other places, do not panic. Um, there might be a little bit more leeway. When I was a moderator for a pitch panel, uh, you know, whenever I was in any pitch session, uh, you get seven minutes uh, followed by seven minutes Q&A. And when I went to Argentina, I was invited to be a panelist, uh, a moderator, and they said we're giving them 15 minutes plus 15 minutes of Q&A. And I said, oh, my God, you're torturing these poor people. No, we want them to have time. And 15 minutes is a long time to be talking. Uh, but they need more because people can listen more also. Here it would be impossible. Nobody would listen 15 minutes of any story. So it is a bit cultural, but it's true that the first minute is important, not only because we need to know things, but also because it sets the tone for everything else. 
in the first minute, the same way that we make a decision about whether we like somebody or not based on 30 seconds of looking at their face and their handshake, we make decisions based on a minute. And then the rest, once the, once the tone is set, they were just flowing with that. So, yeah, you're right. The first minute is extremely important because it sets the tone. Uh, in my book, I have a long explanation about different techniques I developed uh, combining psychology of perception, semiotics, and some common sense that mm, sometimes is not common practice. Um, so, you know, I, I cannot explain like a whole chapter, but I can say that we use um, opening techniques that no matter the topic, we can get the person's attention. And it has to do with contrast, with giving a little jolt to the brain, with surprise, a lot of storytelling techniques, um, universalizing a topic. So, again, it, 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 I cannot do it justice um, um, without a, a, a whiteboard and, and being able to explain the process. But the first minute needs to use a lot of techniques that exceed storytelling and start tapping into psychology. Okay, and so the ending, what are the main characteristics of a good ending? Yeah, it's actually not having an ending. It's leaving that door open for more. If we give a sense of closure, we will have a short film, not a demo. It will, it will feel complete. And if we feel complete, we're not engaged or interested in finding out more, unless we're incredibly invested in the topic per se, uh, and the film comes to confirm our interest. Uh, but if we, the the ending, the challenge is that it's a non-ending. And again, it, it, there is a lot of semiotics and psychology um, in creating that sense of we are done with the demo, but we're not done with you or the film. That's basically the message. We're done with the demo for now, but we're not done with you, dear viewer, and definitely not done with the film. So it's a balance. I would say definitely what not to do. Not No credits. It gives too much we associate credit with finishing, uh, with the ending of a film, so no credit. I definitely would say don't beg. It's kind of off-putting. When you see a wonderful demo, you, the character ends up crying, and you're, oh, my God. And then there is a slate that shows up, a title card. Please donate. And, and you go, oh, oh, I was all teary-eyed, and suddenly I have to think about money. So I would say don't put any information that is off-putting, and, uh, and definitely don't end with a scene that gives closure. Um, and there are different techniques to create that open-ended. Definitely an action cut in the middle is a good way. You know, if you have somebody packing their bags and going through the door, ooh, where do they go? Or, you know, an unfinished sentence of any sort. So anything that leaves something inconclusive is very powerful because the brain is a pattern-making machine, and we want to complete the pattern. So we're propelled forward. We will, okay, I want to know more. Um, but far from that, you know, I would say avoid credits in the end. That, that's already a huge step. Exactly. I totally agree with you. No credits in the end. And um, so don't drive them to your fiscal sponsor to donate. Uh, do you make any kind of an ask? Go to Facebook and, and join our Yeah, I think team? Um, some people think that the demo is floating in space all on its own, but the demo is part of a campaign. It's accompanied by uh, a page, a website, an email. The demo happens in a context. You, you, don't, you, know, you don't fly on a plane and just drop demos on people, and people catch it and go, oh, my God, what's this? It fell from the sky. I mean, a demo is not some stuff that falls from the sky. It's in a context. People get it through an email. People get it through Facebook. They get it in a meeting. Uh, there are 
their ways. And, and there are other things outside the demo that can help with the ask. So I say make it part. First, make sure people are interested. And then you can say this is the action you can take. The exception is a Kickstarter campaign. A crowdfunding campaign, you need to start to end with a strong ask because people give you very little attention. But if you're developing a relationship with a grantor or an investor and you're going for lunch and they saw the demo, do you want the person to feel like, oh, they're coming after my money? No, they want to feel, you know, they want to know, oh, are you interested in my opinion? So the relationship first. The money will come on its own if the relationship is strong. Very good. I I really think that's a good way to look at it. Thank you. This is such valuable information, and you and it's so well thought out. And this is something that it sometimes is missing: is, is that we're always trying to get through our to-do list, and thinking is not allowed, or time for thinking is not always given to filmmakers. And yet, your from your answers, you have put a lot of thought into yeah. this. Yeah, I think it's a combination of uh, a weakness for daydreaming and a bit of Asperger. So, you know, I have a very focused mind, but I also can uh, daydream and think and I ponder. You know, I'm kind of a, a walking philosopher. I go up and down New York or when I'm on a on a plane and I think, how about this? And because I have such a focused mind, then I obsess over that question and I think about it in every possible way. It's it's great for my job. It's horrible for relationships. People cannot stand me, Carol. I'm too intense. <laughs> but but it's great for work. People love me when I work with them because I, I think for three people, you know, I have a very focused mind. But it ruins every social relationship I can possibly have. So um, so I would say, hey, take advantage. I always joke that you get my brains, you don't get my ego. You know, I collaborate, and I don't make decisions on a project. I let people make their own decisions. I just put everything on the table so they know why they're choosing. Uh, I would love, my dream when I work with everybody is make the film by choice, not by default. Don't make it because that's what's being laid in front of you and you're just going through the motions. Make it because you are choosing to make it this way. And to make choices, you need to be well-informed. And that's uh, and that's what I do. I always end up friends with people because it's a very intense relationship. You know, director-writer, it's very close. And um, uh, and I, you know, I really love what I do, as I said. I, I love thinking about these things. I take lots of notes. I publish a lot. And I like a challenge. I like thinking uh, beyond the obvious. Wonderful. Well, tell us, please, uh, for the filmmakers who really love to know what the most common pitfalls face filmmakers when making a demo. Ooh, there are so many. I, I think I mentioned a few as we were talking. I would summarize definitely uh, making uh, demos beyond the point that they are necessary or remaking them. That's, uh, it becomes a bit of an obsession. Uh, yes, you need a demo right away, the best you can, but there is a moment where you don't need a demo. So remember that as much as you need a demo, there is also a moment you don't need a demo. That's a big one. Um, uh, the other is um, thinking that you need to know the entire story before you can go and get a demo. Making documentaries is a jump into a vacuum, is a way of saying, I will trust this story to unfold and also to make the story happen. But I think a lot of people feel that they never know enough, they never research enough. And sometimes I say, time to jump, just jump. Trust me, there is water in the pool, just jump. 
So sometimes some people need a lot of info ahead, and it's impossible to have it. Uh, those are the big ones. Uh, and then there are little ones throughout the way, never letting go of the demo. It's a working tool. It's not a masterpiece. It has to serve a purpose. And if it serves the purpose of communicating the story clearly, just release it, go. Um, so that's another one. People cannot let go. They cannot let go of being in the cutting room, really. That's the true problem. And there are little ones. Um, as I go, you know, every day I find a new one. But I think the main, the main ones are um, when knowing when not to do a trailer after you have a few and um, thinking that you cannot have a trailer until you have everything in place in your head. The story will keep changing. And it's accepting chaos, accepting the chaos of life and just go with it. Brilliant. Okay. So to, to find you, they go to www.documentarydoctor.com. Yes, or Facebook is, if I, I think most people are on Facebook. I, I answer to all requests, especially if it's within a message, and it's facebook.com slash storydoctoring. Storydoctoring. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay, Fernanda. And your second edition, I hear it's selling like hotcakes. Thank you very much. Yeah, for yeah, you got the copy too. I um, and you are in it. I, um, yeah, the second edition. I feel like calling everybody from the first edition and saying, "Please forgive me. Forgive me for my first edition." <laughs> because you learn so much. Uh, you know, there are five-year difference between edition and the other, and there are 150-page difference. The first edition was very slim, and obviously after five more years of work, uh, it's 300-plus, um, the other edition. And um, so, yeah, I'm very happy with the second edition. I think it fully grasps and represents uh, what I set out to do. And uh, and it's very workable manual. You know, it has exercises. It's very hands-on. And, uh, yeah, it's on Amazon, on my website, a couple of other places. Okay, that's brilliant. Well, thank you, Fernanda. We really appreciate it. And I speak for all the filmmakers who are out there trying to figure out how to make a demo or a trailer or whatever you want to call it. But now they know that it's a work sample. And thank you for all your information. Oh, thank you. Always a pleasure to be discussing these things with you. Thank you, Smyrnanda, and thank you, Claire, for hosting. Oh, very happy to. Very much enjoyed the conversation today. Fernanda, thank you very much as well. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, till next time, right. Fernanda. Okay. Okay, be Lots well, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. 
If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's david, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.